Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So today we are going to talk about... Uh, support vector machines and the kernel trick. Aha, and the supporting, speaking of support, the supporting episode was last week's on maximal <laughs> margin. And just to maximize my margin from failure, Whoa. did you hear about the popcorn that joined the army? They made him a kernel. <laughs> That's called the kernel trick. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Holy cow, Ben. So for all of our listeners at home, I'm recording right now, and there is a two and a half minute pause where Ben was just silent and trying to think of the <laughs> pun that he was going to do. And so I hear this typing, and I don't know what kind of magic he's working right, but that was a that was a pun run, Ben. That yeah, was it was it was a pun run. And and now I have um I have exhausted my usefulness for this episode because <laughs> I don't know I, so we once talked about support vector machines, but I don't remember what they were. And I have never heard of the kernel trick aside from the one that I just made up. So, Okay, sure. Um, so let's revisit maximum margin classifiers real quick for anybody who uh, did not catch the last episode. Ooh, and this is something I actually do remember a little bit. And it's if you're trying to, if you're trying to separate out... Um, a bunch of data points into, let's say, uh, I, I imagine in my head, like the left side and the right side, then you want to find a way to draw a line in the middle, which uh, maximizes your margin from any of the points. Uh, so in other words, you want to draw a line that both divides your points nicely, but that also stays away from all of your points. So you have a good amount of margin between the line that you draw and your points. Right, where that line is the decision boundary between sort of the the red area and the blue area or whatever your your classes are. That's right. Yeah. And so the general idea of a maximal margin classifier is you would like to find a classifier that, like you said, uh, the decision boundary is as far as possible from the points. Um, and so a support vector machine is a particular type of maximal margin classifier. And so the support vector machine is like, how do you actually find what that line is. And actually, I'm even going to slightly modify the, the terminology here up front. Uh, we usually don't talk about lines in the context of uh, maximal margin classifiers or support vector machines. Instead, we refer to them as hyperplanes. So this is a nod mm -hmm. toward the fact that they are linear decision boundaries, but a line is just a one-dimensional object, whereas a uh, and then like a plane would be a two-dimensional object, but these can be much higher dimensions. And so we call them separating hyperplanes. Right. So a line would be separating uh, things on a two-dimensional uh, surface on a plane with a one-dimensional thing, which is a line. And then if you had a bunch of points in 3D space, you could separate it with a plane. But um, of course, a lot of data visualization tends to break down if you... Uh, if you don't do dimensionality reduction, because a lot of your data sets are more than three dimensions. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, that's a really good point. Well, so we're kind of... Point is a zero dimensional. Oh. <laughs> never mind, uh. never mind. <laughs> so we're implicitly assuming that there is a hyperplane that will perfectly linearly separate your classes. So if you imagine a blob that you're holding in your left hand and a blob that you're holding in your right hand, there's going to be some piece of paper that you can 
stick in between your hands such that, you know, those two blobs, one of them is on the one side of the paper and one the other one is on the other side of the paper, right? Yeah. Uh, they, aren't, they aren't sort of crossing into each other's territory. And it's kind of a funny thing about it, actually. So imagine that you have two points, right? You have uh, an X and an O. In that case, you always can find a line that will separate those two points, right? That's always going to be possible no matter where they are relative to each other. There's some line that you can draw between them that separates them. Right. Now imagine that you have three points. Oh, interesting. And I think I, sorry, <laughs> go, go ahead. Go, I'll okay. let you finish. Well, I was just going to say, so imagine you have those three points. Now you aren't necessarily guaranteed to have a line that can, a single line that can separate three points. Uh, because imagine that you have, they're all along a line. And so you have red, blue, red. There's no line that you can draw that would separate the blue from the reds on either side of it. But if you had those data points in three dimensions, uh, then you could do something like pull out the blue one from in between the two red ones. You say something like the two red ones, we're going to introduce another dimension to this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll say that, that that dimension is some function whereby the blue point gets pulled away from the two red ones. And now you can stick a piece of paper in between the blue one and the right. two red ones. And that's about as far as kind of your, your, <laughs> your visual uh, instincts can take you because after that you get into higher dimensions that no one has ever seen before. But the point that I'm trying to make is that it's just a fact of geometry that oh. when the number of points is smaller than the dimension, you can always find a perfect separating hyperplane in that higher dimensional space. You might not be able to see it in two dimensions, but it's always mathematically guaranteed to exist. So it's, wow. that's an important okay. thing to understand. Right. So so it, it might not be easily visualizable if you have more than three points. You might not be able to imagine it in your head, but mathematically we can know that there is a way to do it. Yep. Yep. And so the crux of this here is that if we can find some way to increase the dimensionality of the data set, and we're huh. trying to come up with this separating hyperplane, um, then if we increase the dimensionality high enough, we can always find a separating hyperplane. And that's kind of the insight that support vector machines hook onto. That's interesting. It, I, like, I guess I always made the assumption that you would usually have too many dimensions and you'd want to do dimensionality reduction. But it never crossed my mind that there might be some reason you might want to increase the number of dimensions that you're considering. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. And your instincts are right. In general, having very high dimensional problems is uh, creates a lot of challenges for you as a machine learning person. But uh, support vector machines, that's what it, what it rests on. So we'll come back to what those extra dimensions are in a second. But let me give kind of an intuitive example that um, made it a lot clearer for me the first time I was trying to understand this. Mm. So imagine that you have a data set and your data set looks kind of like a bullseye. So you have a bunch of red dots that are clustered in a circle together in the middle. And then there's a bunch of blue dots that are around the periphery that are forming like that first ring of the bullseye, right? And so this is obviously not a problem where you could draw a line through that picture and perfectly separate the inner part of the bullseye from the outer part of the bullseye. But if you allow yourself to introduce an extra dimension, 
Maybe you can. So in this specific case, imagine that you introduce another dimension to the problem, and that dimension is x squared plus y squared. x squared plus y squared. So what, the, what will that get you? So what that does is that for all of your red dots that are clustered tightly in a circle, then their x squared plus y squared, that's basically their their distance squared from the origin, and that's going to be mm -hmm. a relatively small number because right. they're because close to the origin, right? Yeah, they're in, they're, they're in the middle. Oh, got it. Okay, so if you were to map that x squared plus y squared to your z dimension, then you could almost imagine that the points that are that are really close to the origin, to the center of your graph, of your two-dimensional graph, are going to be pushed back just a little bit. But the ones that are in that big ring are going to be pushed, down, pushed back uh, a lot more. And once you have that done, then you could take your piece of paper and you could put it uh, in between the red dots that are closer to the front and the blue dots that are closer to the back. Yep. And that's uh, that in a nutshell is the general idea here. So we want to create extra dimensions um, and mm. find the hyperplane, the separating hyperplane in that higher dimensional space. And then we can project it down to a lower dimensional space. It won't be linear anymore at that point. It's only linear in the very high dimensionality. Um, but that's the gist of it. And so we'll come back to a little bit the idea of like the high dimensional and the low dimensional stuff. Um, that actually, that answers the question that I had at the very beginning, uh, which I didn't ask, which is like you can't just arbitrarily make a new dimension and push some of your points this way and some of your points that way to separate them, right? Um, you need to be, uh, you need to connect that new dimension to something about your data. And in this case, it's something to do with their distance from the origin in the bullseye example. Cool. Yeah. So let's just, let's just unpack this a little bit now. Um, so here's another common example is that um, imagine that you want to generate uh, extra dimensions and what those extra dimensions are, are the cross terms in your problem. So very often you'll have, let's say you have a hundred dimensions to your data. You might also be interested in the interactions between some of those hundred uh, data points. So we think about this sometimes in the context of linear, re uh, linear regression, uh, that you want to introduce the dependencies that certain variables have sort of on each other. Or if you know two variables at the same time, that tells you a lot more for your classification problem than if you know either of them independently. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that you can do is you can use... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself slightly here because I'm going to introduce the idea of kernels. But hang with me here for a second. There's this okay. mathematical function called a kernel, and it allows you to generate extra dimensions. And one of the kernel functions that's pretty popular is called a polynomial kernel. And what a second degree, for example, polynomial kernel does is it automatically generates all of the two-way cross terms that you would have in your data set. So it does that big... Uh, sort of multiplication out of all the different interactions that you might see. So this is something like 100 times 100 minus 1 divided by 2, mm -hmm. I think, if my geometry is correct. And so that's obviously, you know, something like 5,000 or so <laughs> uh, extra dimensions that you've just introduced. 
uh, uh, using this this polynomial kernel, which which right. sort of automatically generates them. So that's all the interactions of all of the different pieces with each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, and so and you can go out to higher order interactions with like a third degree polynomial. Oh. That's that's three ways. And I see, and and the kernel is the uh, the formula, if you will, of how you how you connect these things with each other. Yeah, so kernels are kind of interesting. So we have the general idea here that we're going to find this hyperplane in high dimensional space. We're going to project down to low dimensional space. It's not going to be linear anymore. So if you actually look at the separating hyperplanes of, or the, you know, the, the decision boundaries of support vector machines, they can actually be curvy uh, in really interesting ways. Huh. Yeah. But the question is then what what are these kernel functions doing and what makes them special? And so this is the the last piece of the puzzle here. In a maximal margin classifier, like a support vector machine, the decision boundary is defined in terms of, in this case, uh, support vectors. So support vectors are special data points that are closest to the decision boundary. So um, in general, there's only going to be a small number of support vectors in your data set because they're the ones that define where the boundary is. Mm -hmm. And then what you need to know in order to classify any given point uh, as being on the one side of the decision boundary or the other is you need to know where it is relative to those support vectors because those support vectors define the decision boundary. And basically the way you say how close is this point to the support vectors uh, one way you do that mathematically is what we call a dot product, which is just a mathematical uh, operation that is basically, to hand wave it a little bit, a, a good analogy is a dot product tells you how similar two vectors are to each other. Mm -hmm. And so by comparing the vector that's associated with a given point to the vectors that are associated with all of the support, uh, all the support vectors for your problem, then you can start to figure out where your point notches in against all these points that define the decision boundary. And so that dot product, that dot product you want to be hypothetically doing in this very high dimensional space in order to take advantage of that perfectly separating hyperplane. But kernel functions are kind of special. They're like a generalization of the dot product that works in very high dimensional spaces. Uh, and they're designed in such a way that you don't actually have to look at all the dimensions of the vectors in order to calculate the distance between them. So I have two questions about the kernel trick. First of all, uh, I did not ask this when you brought it up, but is it a kernel with a K, like popcorn kernel? Yes. Or is it a kernel like in the, in the military? No, <laughs> like a popcorn kernel. All right, yeah, okay. Then I guess my pun, well... It was a pun, whatever. Uh, and then the, the other question is, you're saying you could do second order, which was the example where you're comparing each each dimension to uh, its other dimension. So you're, yeah, in terms of the number of dimensions, it's kind of like the original dimensionality squared is yeah. order magnitude what you're getting. Ish, yeah. And then uh, you can go three levels, you could probably go four levels or eight levels and just get ridiculously uh, huge number of, of new dimensions. Uh, but would your, would your then dimensionality that you could reach 
be uh, constrained by the number of dimensions of your data. So if you have 100 dimensional data, you can't really do a 110th order kernel function or something like that. Uh, sure, yeah. So the perfectly separating hyperplane is all based on the idea of what's the number of points that you have relative to the dimensionality here. So if you have an extremely high number of points, then even like a pretty high dimensional problem might not be perfectly linearly separable. And so in that case, there's even a special kernel function. And this is one of the most common ones that people use, actually. It's called a radial basis function. It's kind of like a, a Gaussian shape. And that is uh, infinite dimensional. So there's a lot of actually machinery around support vector machines, no pun intended, um, <laughs> you know, kind of a lot of guts yeah. of the support vector machines that were, um, that were glossing over. So in particular, yeah. kind of regularizing away some of those really high dimensions and this kind of thing. Um, but hypothetically, you can go all the way out to infinite dimensions. And so with support vector machines, it's uh, totally possible to have decision boundaries that are perfect with respect to your training data. Do they generalize well? Like maybe not. I'm not sure if that's actually a good idea, but you can do it. Huh. Wow. That's pretty cool. So that's support vector machines, the kernel trick. And uh, now I think I'm going to make popcorn. Oh, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.